0: Thank you again for joining us. Uh, It's great to see everyone out this early morning in a a big room. And uh, I'm not uh, too surprised that we have uh, a great turnout this morning. I know Mayor Nenshi is certainly a draw here. And I know any time here in Toronto, especially lately, that you advertise you have the head of Toronto coming, you sell out the room. And uh, the only issue is sometimes there's some confusion because people think they're going to come and see Drake. So I just, uh, we, I'm here to tell you, thank God we have the real Mayor of Toronto, John Tory, and for those that came to see Drake, uh, there are no refunds. So welcome. Thank you. Uh, my name is uh, Danny Asaf, and I have uh, the privilege of uh, serving as the President of the Canadian Club of Toronto for this 2015, now concluding, 2016 season. So I am truly a lame duck president. Uh, our president-elect Fred Mifflin is here and he'll be, you'll be hearing from him later. So uh, I'm very grateful that they at least allowed me to continue to take the podium today for this great event. And it is a truly an honor for me to be your host here uh, this morning uh, for this uh, great discussion we're about to have. We at the Canadian Club are extremely proud of our 119-year history our history of attracting leaders and influential decision-makers from all walks of life, from both home and abroad, to talk about the current issues that are meaningful to us. We've always been committed uh, to bringing this diverse range of speakers to our podium, to to bring you uh, thoughtful, insightful, something provocative, sometimes provocative, uh, but always informative uh, insights. And, of course, this event today is a clear demonstration of that. On that note, I would ask our moderator of today's event, uh, Alison Smith, to draw a business card from our bin, and the lucky winner will receive a $250 uh, gift voucher from Air Canada whom we're very proud to say is the official airline sponsor of the Canadian Club of Toronto for this season. And Alison will announce the winner.
1: Evan Howard from Glasgow Chef.
0: There we go. Fantastic, yes. Yeah. We do. We, uh, and by the way, on purpose, we always give that to a sponsor. So I'm glad you were here to witness that. And fantastic. Great picking, Allison. Fantastic. You're hired. We need you next year uh, as well for that. And, uh, and at that point, I, when we give away a gift, I always like to joke. That's when I like to remind everyone to fill out their event cards and tell us how much you're enjoying our event. So please, we always welcome your feedback and uh, look to uh, make our events. Uh, even better and improve them for you as we continue in our 120th year. Now, before uh, we start with our discussion, I do want to take a moment, of course, and uh, have the honour of introducing our head table guests. Head table guests, please uh, stand as I recognise you and remain standing until I've had, again, the pleasure of introducing everyone. And similarly to our members and our guests, please uh, refrain from applause until, again, I've had uh, the pleasure of introducing everyone so i will like to start with our first introduction of his worship uh john tory the mayor of toronto i know it's very hard to resist he's very popular drake has nothing on you but stay standing mayor tory i know i know uh and and we won't ask you to sing hotline bling or anything it won't happen uh, next i'd like to introduce tom mcmillan chair of gluskin chef Uh, allison smith journalist and broadcaster Uh, fred mifflin uh, president-elect the Canadian Club of Toronto, Vice-Chairman Blair Franklin Capital Partners. Scott Young, Digital Strategy Consultant and a 2015-2016 Civic Action Diversity Fellow. Helen Burstyn, Past President of the Canadian Club of Toronto and co-host Toronto Files on Rogers TV. Councillor Michael Thompson, Chair, Economic Development and Culture Committee, Chair, Invest Toronto Councillor Ward 37 Scarborough Centre, Gillian Riley, Director, the Canadian Club of Toronto and Executive Vice President, Canadian Commercial Banking, Scotiabank, Jonathan Goodman, Vice Chair and Global Managing Partner, Monitor Deloitte and, of course, His Worship, Mahid Nenshi, Mayor of Calgary. Ladies and gentlemen, your head table guests. Thank you. Please feel free and welcome to take your seats as well now. So as I said earlier, today marks the end and the conclusion of our 119th season at the Canadian Club. And uh, knowing that this panel will be talking about the future of our country, I did want your indulgence to speak a little bit about the history of our club. And it started near the end of the 19th century, and a group of Canadian men came together. And it was an an invite important to, to address an audience over a meal. It was first dinner and then it was lunch. And in doing so, to build community, encourage discussion on the issues of the day, and help define and project the image and the potential of this new country. And while the club it has, it's changed in many ways since then, of course, and the fact that it was only men then, uh, and through our new social media and media partnerships, our events now are able to reach well beyond a lunch in this room, as you can see today with the coverage that we have. In many ways, though, of course, our aim has remained steadfast and consistent. As I mentioned earlier, it's to delve into the issues that matter to us and start a discussion and bring great people together. And above all, today, it's to project an image of a country that has great new potential as we embark on this very young 21st century. And today does mark my last day as president of our club, and I would like to say that it has been a distinct privilege and honor, and it's been humbling to be able to bring together great people, to learn from them, to be able to meet a lot of great guests, and to be able to provide you, I hope, with something that was at least consistent, if not maybe contributed to the wonderful history of this club, and maybe in small, in a small way to add to something that's important to us in discussing what the future of our country will look like. It is a pleasure to have our incoming president, Fred Mifflin, who you'll hear from a little bit later today, and many board members, past and present here with us today. And it is with uh, great admiration and gratitude that I ask them to stand and take an opportunity to recognize them. Please, members of the board of the Canadian Club, past and present, the presidents, please stand. (laughs) Thank you very much. It is a a non-profit, voluntary organization, and your efforts through today and in the past are greatly appreciated. And I want to thank, of course, you, our audience, for the time that you take from your busy schedules, from your other priorities, to come here, not only to hear from our speakers, but to be active participants in things that are important to our city, to our province, and to our country. Thank you for making that time consistently, season to season. And the club, of course, would be uh, unable to do what it does as a nonprofit organization without the help and the support of many of its generous uh, sponsors, both in terms of resources and time. And on that note, I would like to take a moment to express express a special gratitude for those who have made this event possible today. And they include today our Canada 150 series sponsors, uh, that include the City of Toronto and Gluskin Chef. I wanted to thank them both for making this series, Canada 150, possible. Thank you. <laughs> and I also want to thank our event sponsor, Deloitte and Scotiabank. Thank you again for your generous support of our event. <laughs> and, of course, Air Canada for being with us all season and being the official airline sponsor of the Canadian. And I would also like to take a moment to recognize a group of youth and young leaders from the Young Urbanists League, uh, who are sponsored today by Blair Franklin Capital Partners and by Carrie Kirkman for Girls 20, may I ask the youth leaders to stand and please just take an opportunity to recognize them here this morning. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) This is what our discussion is for this generation more than any. Uh, And just to tell you a little bit about what our Canada 150 initiative is as we start our discussion, Uh, we launched our Canada 150 initiative earlier this year, and it is an initiative designed to provoke and to uh, facilitate discussions about the important economic questions that our country faces and exploring what we all feel should be a framework and a vision for our economic future as we come to the eve of our 150th birthday and look forward to our 200th birthday with even more prosperity and success. And this was launched to basically try to provide some insight into two questions that we feel as Canadians that are important to us in 2016, which is, number one, what economic opportunities are going to be provided to us and our children, as we look ahead, and secondly, what is Canada's role going to be in the world remaining a very relevant and vibrant G20 country? Today, we're very proud to have the second installment of this series. We're going to talk about cities as the key drivers of growth looking ahead. And this topic, I have to say, was inspired by our inaugural panel where the Honourable Michael Wilson reminded us all that as we look ahead, our cities, Toronto, cities like Toronto and Calgary, will be just as much in competition with cities like Beijing and Hong Kong and New York as Canada will be in competition with China and other countries. And that was a very important point. And then when you look at different statistics and see that two-thirds of the world's population will live in urban centres by 2050, you can see that cities are going to be the key drivers. And then, again, when you look at the global dialogue, I just pulled one... Of one headline here from the Financial Times, urbanization is the money-printing machine here for social good, and the focus should be on cities as the drivers. Cities very much are the hearts of Canada. We feel that. We see that as the lifeblood of our economy, and we, it's, it's a, it, they are centers that connect us, obviously, urban and rural, so it's for the benefit of everyone. It's not... For one or the other, and it, they are cities that connect people through different strata, social, political, economic, to actually bring you together where you otherwise wouldn't to be able to collaborate and do great things. Cities obviously have the scale to do meaningful things, to move the needle, and obviously great cities throughout time have always attracted great people to come bring them here to help us innovate, refresh, and do even better things as we look to the future. So this morning we're very lucky to have two of Canada's most recognized, most notable, most accomplished mayors and advocates for the power and possibility of cities here today, and that is the mayors of Toronto and Calgary, who are two of of the major economic forces in this country. Toronto's mayor, his worship John Tory, has headed this city, Canada's largest city, since December 1, 2014. He has the honour of serving as the city's 65th mayor and has shown how exceptionally qualified he is to lead its its 2.8 million people. He has an accomplished career as a lawyer, a political strategist, a formal Po- a provincial politician and a very successful businessman. And Mayor Tory, we all know, works tirelessly day and night to improve our city. Out west, our other major centre, you head to Calgary, and you're going to find Mayor Nahid Nenshi. Among his ass- accolades, his worship, uh, Mayor Nenshi, has received include being named a young global leader by the World Economic Forum and the World Mayor Prize in 2014, and to- 2014 for his leadership, And community building, uh, commitment to community building. He was first elected as mayor in 2010 and then re elected three years later with almost three quarters of the vote. So, an incredible panel we have, two great mayors, and we are pleased today that we're also able to welcome one of Canada's leading journalists and broadcasters, Ms. Allison Smith, and this morning everyone will be. Uh, happy to uh, engage in discussion and Q&A, I believe, afterwards, so please fill out your question cards, and uh, time permitting, we'll be uh, allowed to put some questions to the panel as well. On that note, it is my pleasure, it is my honour, and very much looking forward to seating this podium, the podium of the Canadian Club of Toronto, to Mayors Tory, Mayors Nenshi, and Alison Smith. Welcome.
2: Well, good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and President Danny and uh, uh, distinguished guests one and all, and uh, my friend, Hid, who I welcome uh, to Toronto. Uh, he and I were discussing the uh, perhaps bad uh, combination that you have because they asked us to give uh, four to five minutes of uh, opening remarks each from the podium before having our chat with Allison and uh, he said, first of all, he said to me, and I'm not sure if he was directing this at me as the first of a, sh- you know, shot of the morning, he said four to five minutes, not 45 minutes. <laughs> And I then thought to myself, what a bad combination we had up here—me, a former talk show host, and him, a former professor. As we t- <laughs> we tend to speak in very long kind of, uh, but uh, I will be very brief. I do want to begin uh, by acknowledging, as was already done, but uh, my colleague, Councillor Michael Thompson, who works uh, so hard on the economic development end of uh, of the City Council, <laughs> and City of Toronto. see what I'll do is use up my four to five minutes doing all this stuff, <coughs> including the fact that I asked uh, Mayor Nenshi sort of what he was going to do with the rest of his day and he just said, well, it's mostly economic development and I just turned to him and I said, you mean that means trying to steal jobs from Toronto? <laughs> and he said yes, but uh, having said all that, you know what, if we do our jobs right, there's lots of jobs to go around and at the end of the day, it's really what I want to talk about just briefly in my own opening remarks and I'm sure Alison will uh, will pick up on this uh, and other uh, things related to this. I, cities, uh, you know, Canada, 80% of people live in cities. That's a truism that's repeated over and over again. And if anything, that percentage is going to creep, uh, continue to creep up. And they're coming to cities for a reason, uh, which uh, I think is, in, in the case of Toronto, I can certainly speak to Toronto's experience, I think it's twofold. I think uh, number one is opportunity. Uh, and number two is that uh, as we have the most diversity in the world right here, uh, people find comfort in coming from all over the world to places where there are other people uh, like them in the context of their background and experiences. And I think that uh, one of the great advantages we have here is that we can attract people from almost every country in the world and they will find when they get here there's a community of people who've come from the same country and the same background already here. And it just comforts them in terms of that kind of support uh, that uh, they, they obviously would need when you have the courage to uproot yourself and move to another country and to, a, to another city. But if you go back to the first reason, and that's opportunity, cities are going to be going forward as we go through a fairly profound economic transformation, the place where there is opportunity. And just as there is a tra- an economic transformation that uh, Marinenci can speak to better than I can happening in all parts of the country, including Western Canada, there's one happening here too. Um, we are transforming ourselves from a kind of commoditized or commodity-based economy to something that is a more knowledge-based economy. And so it doesn't mean you stop doing what you were doing before, but it means you have to adjust yourself to some uh, new realities. And in our case, I guess if there was a crop we were growing uh, here in Toronto where there, wasn't, there isn't oil underneath the ground as far as we've uh, determined and there's not a lot of agriculture left, uh, we were growing financial services and growing it quite successfully. We were growing life sciences and growing it quite successfully. But now as you move along the spectrum to um, an even more focused knowledge-based and technology-based innovation-based economy that is going to continue to focus on those same things, the challenge uh, changes for us. And the challenge changes uh, simply by virtue of the fact that we have to recognize what our strengths are as we head into that new era. I said in a a talk I gave yesterday that the Uber issue that uh, I have a few scars from, uh, just in terms of the uh, strength of... Not as many as I do. Well, well, we can can compare scars uh, later. Somebody said to me this morning, by the way, that we were going to have a sparring session up here, and I said, there's not much to spar on, because we'll probably find we have uh, many points of view in common, but he is a much younger man and more handsome, and he now says he has more, uh, more scars from Uber than I do. But what that was really about, it wasn't about Ubers versus taxis versus whoever else. It was about whether we were going to be the kind of city, subject to making sure that the rule of law was in place, that welcomed disruptors and embraced disruptors and encouraged disruptors to make their home here, to grow themselves here, uh, to say this was a place where they could come and and establish themselves and and, uh, then grow and sell their their products and their services to the rest of the world, or whether we were going to be the kind of place that sort of said, ho-hum, we don't care, or even worse than that, we're turning our backs on you, we want you out of town. And I think that that is the decision point that we're at right now with respect to the innovation-based, knowledge-based economy. Do we want to do everything that we can to make sure that we are the home in the cities in Canada? Um, And the, the reality is because of the concentration of talent, because of the concentration of population, because in particular of the concentration of educational Uh, institutions of excellence and because of the concentration already of technology startups and the test bed where they can experiment with what they're doing, namely established corporations, cities are going to be the place that innovation is naturally attracted to. I was talking to the president of Ryerson last night at an iftar dinner that Danny SF kept me up to, out, out, out at until 10, 15 last night, knowing he had me back here this morning. Didn't even offer me a room in the hotel to stay at. But, you know, we were talking about the fact that in the city of Toronto, right now, the city of Toronto, not GTA, the city of Toronto, there are 200,000 post-secondary students in this city. That is a great trump card that we're going to be able to play, but that is only going to happen in a city. That's no disrespect to the other universities and to the other cities. It's just to say there is a critical mass here, as there is in Calgary, of innovators and risk takers and smart people and researchers uh, that are going to form the basis for this economy going forward. And I'll finish on this note. I said at a conference that I spoke at last week that I think the real challenge in front of us as, as people in governments is going to be whether we're prepared to place a bet On the cities, and do that sometimes knowing in this country in particular there's some political peril involved in that. And I will say that I take some encouragement, some encouragement from the fact that the new government of Canada, when it came to allocating transit money, and transit has a lot to do with this. Transit connects people to opportunities. It's a fundamental building block to making sure that you take that concentration of talent and be able to utilize it all over a fairly spread out geographic area. But they chose to allocate that transit money, controversially in some quarters, on the basis of transit ridership, which meant cities like Calgary and Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal who really needed it the most got money based on their transit ridership. And in this country it takes courage because more often than not, money's allocated on the basis, well, everybody should get some because we want to keep everybody happy. And I don't think there's a big revolution taking place as a result of that decision, but unfortunately for the Government of Canada, I think they're going to have to take that kind of decision over and over again if they want to bet on the champions that are going to really make this country go, including fueling continued economic growth in rural uh, and smaller city Canada. We have a program for athletes that's called Own the Podium. We have no hesitation about saying we're going to give money to the people who are our best champions to give them the best chance to get a gold medal in the world. And I say that the cities are Canada's champions when it comes to economic growth in the future for the reasons that I've tried inadequately and and oversimplistically perhaps to to lay out and that we have to make bets on those cities to be able to drive the country forward and create the wealth that will allow us to do what what else we have to do as cities, which is to close the gap between those who are comfortable and those who are struggling. You have to earn money before you can spend it. tax it and spend it, and a fundamentally healthy private sector economy is going to be key to that. So I'll stop there. I think I was only eight minutes, uh, and uh, thank you very much.
3: Well, thanks very much, John. Uh, It's a great pleasure to be here with my friend John Tory, with Michael Thompson uh, in this great city. Let me begin, as I always begin, by saying okinitsuguach. For those who don't speak Blackfoot, uh, for more to the point for those who do speak Blackfoot and have no idea what I'm trying to say, (laughs) it means greetings to all my relations. And I love that sentiment, that sentiment that in community we are all intertwined, that we together are related. And it is a great honour for me to be here on the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nation, the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and home to many diverse indigenous peoples. I believe it was the Huron-Wendat who first called this place the Six. I thought I was getting Drake this morning too. That's why it's that's why it's 7 a.m. and I said yes. But Mayor Tory is much better than Drake. He does occasionally call me on my cell phone. Not usually late at night. Anyway, (laughs) when you get a bunch of big city mayors in the room, regardless of political stripe, whether you're red or blue, there is a reason I wear purple every day, you actually find remarkable unanimity when we talk about what the country needs and what our cities need. So John said just about everything that I was going to say anyway. We're talking about economic innovation about the need for economic diversification, the investment in public transit and in housing and so on. So I'll just spend a couple of minutes talking about a different aspect, which is really talking about human potential. I come from a place where, although we like to call it the new world or new land, newly populated, where people have been meeting at the junction of two great rivers. By the way, the last time I was in a podium with the Canadian Club, just saying that junction of two great rivers, something else happened. (laughs) And then I had to leave. That's exactly right, by the way. The flood happened while I was on the Canadian Club podium three years ago. So make sure that doesn't happen again (laughs) today. In fact, I was on my way to your former president, Alison Lote's wedding. She said to me just the night before, I can't believe with your schedule you're taking time to come to my wedding. And I said, Alison, nothing on earth would prevent me from going to your wedding. So basically, the flood was Alison's fault, in case you're wondering. (laughs) But anyway, I come from this place where people have been meeting at the junction of those two great rivers for thousands of years. They've been living and loving and hunting and fishing and trading, telling stories, and above all, building community. And as we think about where we are today, I think back to those original inhabitants of the land where I come from, the Nitsitapi, the people, call them the Blackfoot people now. They were joined over the millennia by others, by representatives of other nations from the north, the Beaver people, the Sutina people, from the east, the Stony people, the Nakoda people, and of course, as here, with people representing nations of every corner of the world. In 1877, at a place just east of Calgary called Blackfoot Crossing, those people came together and they made treaty. We call it Treaty Number 7. I call it the origin story of our community a document that talks about how we live together, how we share the land, how we welcome newcomers. And today, when we build community every single day, I like to think that we are honouring that treaty, that we are all thinking of ourselves as treaty people. And I say that not only because we live in a time of reconciliation with our Indigenous brothers and sisters, but also because that idea of being treaty people, that we are all relations, that we have a covenant with one another, is really what makes our cities work. You know, despite the stories we tell ourselves about Canada, you know, a nation of mountains and moose and lakes and trees and moose and beavers and moose, (laughs) we are in fact one of the most urbanized places on earth. Over 80% of us live in cities. Uh, When you take Singapore and Hong Kong out of the mix, it is in fact one of the most urban nations. And we live at a unique point in human history. For the first time in the history of our shared humanity, the majority of the world's population live in cities. And that urbanization will only grow. By 2050, 86% of people in the developed world will live in cities, 64% of people in the developing world. So the issue of how to make prosperous, sustainable, and when I say sustainable, I mean environmentally sustainable, financially sustainable, and socially sustainable, and livable cities is a question for all of humanity. Last September in New York, we were witness to the largest gathering of world leaders in all of history. Unfortunately, the local papers in Canada only mentioned that the Pope and Shakira were both at the UN. They didn't actually say why they were there. And in fact, they were there to adopt a new series of goals for the world, the global goals or the sustainable development goals. And this is an extraordinary vision. It's a vision of a world free of poverty, hunger, disease and want, a world of universal respect for human rights and dignity, and a world of equal opportunity permitting the full realization of human potential. And goal number 11 is about cities. And it's about how to make cities work together, how to make sure that cities are places where every single person has the opportunity to succeed. You've heard me say before, if you've ever seen me on any podium, that I believe that the core success of our nation is just that, It's not the fact that there are carbon atoms in the ground in some parts of the country and maple trees with great sap in other parts of the country. It is the fact that we figured out a very, very simple truth. A simple truth that I think evades too many in this broken world of ours. And that simple truth is just this. We're all in it together. We're all in it together. Our neighbor's strength is our strength. Our neighbor's pain is our pain. And importantly, our neighbor's failure is our failure. And we get that in cities. That in order for cities to work, we have to make sure that the promise of Canadian cities is met. And that promise is a very simple one. And in Toronto, we maintain that promise better than anywhere else in the world. And that's something we need to be incredibly proud of. And that promise is just this. Regardless of what you look like or where you come from, regardless of how you worship or whom you love, that every single person in our community and every single corner of our community has the chance right here, right now, to live a great Canadian life. It's a simple promise, but it's a promise we have to work on every single day, that we have to make sure we speak out against the voices of small-mindedness and of intolerance, that we have to speak out for economic prosperity and the ability for every single person to participate. Now, that means that we have to do a lot of things together, and yeah, and hopefully we'll talk about this a little bit, it means we've got to work together on national programs, like getting access for Canadian energy to our resources, to, to international markets. we got to stop selling Canada short and selling our resources at a discount to the world price. we got to ensure that every part of the country benefits from the prosperity of every other part of the country and that when you fill up your gas tanks here in Toronto, you're filling it up with oil from Canada, not from Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, Algeria, these are things we got to do because these are nation-building things. And when I talk about the need for us to set aside small-mindedness and intolerance, it also means that together we have to be able to focus on what makes the nation great and how we work together to make the nation great. And for me, that comes down to embracing human potential as the global goals tell us to and investing in our cities. So I look forward to the rest of the conversation. Thank you.
1: Mayor Nancy, those were noble sentiments about community, Um, and I know you sort of made light of this, Mayor Tory, you sort of talked about stealing jobs from one another, but I'm curious to know if you think actually being mayor is a competitive job, and if so, who's the competition?
3: Well, I think that it's it's a competitive job, and that's a very good thing, actually. Because we succeed as a nation. I remember the first time I stood on the podium uh, at the Canadian Club. Thank you for keep asking me back. It's very nice. (laughs) Um, I talked about how we succeed as a nation when our cities succeed. Because we are in a global war for talent, for resources, for investment. And we need that brilliant graduating engineer from Shanghai or Mumbai to actually, when she's thinking about where she wants to live, to have Canadian cities on her map. It means we need a strong Toronto, a strong Montreal, a strong Vancouver, a strong Calgary. God help us a strong Edmonton. <laughs> and that kind of competition is a good thing. You know, The Economist every year puts out a list of the most livable cities in the world. And I am very, very proud that every year three of the top five cities are Canadian cities. They're in the wrong order. <laughs> Vancouver, Toronto, Calgary, but uh, that's a really good thing, and it helps us all. Now, we also have to recognize that there are opportunities for us to think as a nation. So I did tell John, yes, I'm here to steal jobs, but more specifically, I'm here to help give people options when they are dealing with a very overheated downtown Toronto uh, real estate market. Thanks a lot for your help. (laughs) Happy to help out. Happy to help out. Take off some of the inflationary pressure on your lease rates downtown. I'm quite serious about it, though. You know, we have to be able to figure out how we can spread prosperity across the nation. John and I were just in Winnipeg uh, a couple of weeks ago for the meeting of the big city mayors. Was that last week, the week before? They're all running into one another now. (laughs) A week in Winnipeg tends to run into... um, Mm -hmm. That was you that said that, by the (laughs) way. I'm sure I said tends to be amazing. Actually, it was amazing. I haven't been in many years. But it really reminded me that even a relatively prosperous place like Winnipeg that prosperity is very unevenly distributed across this nation, that opportunity is very unevenly distributed. That's not a bad thing, because as John says, you've got to pick your winners and focus on them, but we also have to make sure that as cities as champions, we are spreading uh, our opportunity across the country. You know, There are a lot of small towns that can't afford water treatment plants, and we're paying for them. I'll shut up.
2: I I just want to comment on that in a slightly different context. Uh, I just had the chance to take the first sort of faraway trip, Uh, but even going to California, I'd been there, but then I went to China and to Japan. And we sort of overestimate the degree to which people think about Canada very much. Oh yeah, Uh, It's a wonderful country. It has all the virtues that uh, Mayor Nenshi talked about and that we know about, but frankly, we're lucky if we make sort of people's consideration uh, very often. And if you then add to that a second factor, which they remind you about, and it's true... Uh, which is that, uh, to put it in the words of a, of a venture capitalist in the Silicon Valley, who I sat next to at a dinner we had to encourage them to invest here, he said, you Canadians don't know how to sell. So we take our status as a relatively small, albeit very successful, prosperous, admired country where we don't get talked about all the time, partly because we have things going fairly well and we're not in the news a lot in that con- in a bad context, and add to that the fact we are very modest about kind of selling the opportunity that exists in Calgary and Toronto, uh, and you have there uh, a recipe for underperforming. And so I don't look at this uh, as a competition. Sure, from time to time you'll have a company that will look at investing and have both Calgary and Toronto or other Canadian cities on their list. But I look at it as a win when those companies decide from outside the country in particular uh, to locate in our country. And it's one of the reasons why I've taken the approach I had with the Toronto Waterloo Corridor Because I'm happy when people invest in Waterloo in that quarter, because I know that there are going to be people in this city who benefit from that and that uh, vice versa, and that the rising tide lifts all boats. And the same with Calgary. When Calgary is in trouble, Toronto is not doing as well as it can and vice versa. It's about Canada uh, and and a country that is fairly small and making sure that we work together uh, to build it up.
1: Okay, so what's holding you back? You you talked about sort of the need to become, I think you've called yourself salesman-in-chief for the City of Toronto. You've talked a little bit, both of you, about the uniqueness of your individual cities. But in terms of um, becoming an even greater driver of economic growth, what are the obstacles?
2: Well, I'll name a couple of things just to start uh, the discussion. I mean, first of all, um, I think it is, uh, to some extent, a lack of focus on this kind of rising tide lifts all boats, we're all in it together uh, approach as a country. Um, you know, I think we, we still have, and there was an article in today's paper somewhere just po- pointing out the four or five continuing biggest obstacles when it comes to, say, interprovincial free trade, or even an issue like, like the uh, pipelines. I mean, I have been supportive, and I took some lashing during the municipal elections on this, because down here it was fashionable mm-hmm. to be against the pipelines. And I understand some of the concerns that exist about all of the dangers that exist with any method of moving uh, products like petroleum products. But I also understood and said that I was in favour of these pipelines because at the end of the day, first of all, we can't be hypocritical. We're using an awful lot of energy down here uh, to fuel ourselves and to fuel our industries. And like uh, Marinenci, I'd rather be using Canadian energy and supporting the growth and prosperity of another part of our own country uh, than anything else. So I think we, we fail to do that. We fail to take down the trade barriers that exist. Um, and also I think our governments have been lacking in courage over time at supporting our champions. And I know it's tough. Uh, it's tough in Ontario for any for a Premier of Ontario to do something for Toronto because everybody kind of goes, oh, well, they have everything and why would you do anything for them and so on and so forth. But we've got to play to strength, uh, and I'm, that's why I said I was encouraged by what the federal government had done with transit money.
3: Yeah, no, I, I mean exactly that, right? What's holding us back is the lack of an understanding of ourselves as an urban nation, the lack of support in some quarters... Uh, across the country for true national projects like those pipelines. Um, and then the third is we continue to live in a constitutional framework that really disadvantages cities. Uh, you know, when the British North America Act was written in 1867, we were a very agrarian nation. So cities don't appear in the Constitution, we are creations of the province. All cities have different relationships and charters. Uh, we're working on our, our city charter now in Alberta with their provincial governments, and as a result, the real nitty-gritty stuff is challenging. When you can't. So in Calgary right now, we've got a very serious problem with our system of taxation. We only rely on the property tax, which is a lousy, regressive, horrible way to tax people. It's particularly a lousy, horrible, regressive way to tax business. And so, if you uh, have noticed the Calgary papers, you see a lot of small businesses. They just got their tax bills. um, The last week going, I've had a terrible year, and yet my property taxes have gone up because I happen to be a one-story veterinary clinic in the middle of downtown Toronto, so my land value is worth far more than my business is worth. So what's the rational thing to do? You sell your land and move your business somewhere else, but that doesn't lead to a vibrant downtown. So we need the ability to have tools. um, And Well, let's put it this way. From our provincial and federal cousins, uh, we need their money. (laughs) <laughs> and, and can I just add to that, Allison, that if, if you added up the
2: amount of time that I'm sure you're the same as me that you, you spend I, I, pleading, you know, and and sometimes it comes down to that with other levels of government in this country to give us just the flexibility. Yes, we sometimes need a redistribution of some of the money they collect from cities to be reinvested in cities in things like Mm -hmm. public transportation and housing and poverty reduction, but the amount of time you spend even just looking for the flexibility when it comes to raising the money needed to run what are two of the biggest governments in the country They're two of the biggest governments in the country, regardless of which order of government we are. We are two of the biggest governments in the country that we're running. And yet we have to go around and spend our time because of that framework that is ancient and because, quite frankly, and this maybe takes back some of the kind words I spoke earlier, of an ongoing um, um, refusal or or, uh, an overlooking of the fact that these things need to be modernized so you can run these big governments, which are the ones most relied upon to deliver the services Mm -hmm. closest to people and most integral to building the economy you know, the transit, the housing. These are economic issues. They're not just social issues. And yet we have to go and plead for the flexibility, the tools, uh, the resources to build our cities in that way. And, and it takes up a lot of your time, which it actually shouldn't because it's not a very good use of your time.
3: Yeah. I don't know what the numbers are in Toronto, but in Calgary, just to give you an example, uh, there are more people in Calgary than there are in each of five provinces.
1: You should have Senate seats. Yeah, no. <laughs> um,
3: another order of government. <laughs> Toronto is bigger than six provinces, I think, if I'm doing my math right. So, let me, but but uh, let me just finish yeah. this thought. My operating budget is three billion dollars a year. Half of it comes from property tax, half from user fees. The citizens of Calgary, citizens businesses of Calgary, so I've got three billion a year to work with. The citizens of Calgary send to the provincial government four billion a year more than we get in all provincial services. We send to the federal government $10 billion a year, more than we get in all federal services. So we used to be fashionable to talk about the fiscal imbalance in Canada. It's not between provinces. It's between municipalities, big cities in particular, and all the other governments. So when you see Mayor Tory or me hat in hand or on our knees begging, right, we're not asking for a handout. We're asking for a small tax rebate because we need to be able to invest in things like public transit so that people continue to move to the cities and invest here and pay those taxes. You know, the cost of congestion in the greater Toronto area every year is much greater than the turnover of one of the largest companies in Canada. I think it's two Canadian tires is lost just in congestion um, in Toronto. So people aren't going to live here anymore. If you can't actually get anywhere, I can invest my money somewhere else. You know, I was invited. This to an is event. the pitch he's going to go on and give all day. That's right. Oh yeah, that's a good <laughs> idea. I should throw <laughs> Any that in. Of you who have a point? You can get home by five thirty. Five questions <laughs> to ask him that ties him up from getting to his day, and yeah, that would be much appreciated. I'll give you one quick anecdote. I was in—I was just invited to speak in China at a tourism thing in some never-before-heard-of city. Right? I've never heard of them, so I Googled, wh- "Where is this place?" 14 million people in a province of 140 million people you know, four times the size of Canada. And I've never heard of the province either, by the way. So when John says we are a small player, we're a small player who needs to get itself sorted out.
1: So maybe we need to, and if you if you want to think about big ideas, um, I was intrigued as I was preparing for this by Benjamin Barber's book, If Mayors Ruled the World. And he posits the argument that, in fact, in an interdependent global economy, nation-states no longer really are as effective as they once were. That in fact, um, the things that threaten us now, disease, um, terrorism, um, climate change, those things know, know national boundaries. And that mayors, in fact,
2: are problem solvers. Well, it's the flip side to what you were saying, which is if you want to look at solving or addressing challenges or solving problems, how are they solved? They're solved locally. They'll solve person to person, street to street, neighborhood to neighborhood, small business to small business, educational institution to educational institution. It happens locally. And so there's been this kind of phrase that's kicked around, I don't know who, who said it first, that all politics is local. Well, all human interaction basically is local. And as a result, national governments are very important in terms of setting the framework for economic development in terms of, like, interest, you know, monetary policy and so on and so on. Very important decisions. But in terms of where almost everything gets delivered, at the end of the day, it's delivered by city governments. And that's why there's such an incongruity between that reality and the reality that we go around pleading for the resources to actually do what we're best suited to do, which is to deliver on some of their policies we all we all have we all have a commitment. At least I can speak in Ontario, and I'm sure it's true in Alberta on poverty reduction, federal, provincial, and local. we do all the work. Where are all of those things going to be? Where's the housing going to be fixed? Where are the transit lines going to be built to connect people to opportunity? Where is the child care going to be established? It's not going to be established by somebody in Ottawa making decisions. It'll be done here in Toronto or in Calgary, and that's why the the role of cities is so important in addressing what you just said. So say. if
1: you think about Canada and its place in the world beyond. Canada at 150? Do we have to rethink those kind of... the I hate to say the word, the Constitution. Do you yeah. have to rethink the kind of way we shape our governments and, and who has power?
3: No, I don't think we have to rethink it, but what we do need to do is just ensure that the orders of government that are responsible for delivering the services have the resources they need in order to do that. You know, I actually... I know you have something called uploading in Ontario. I'd love to hear that word in, in, uh, in Alberta, but I'm not so much interested in sending housing to the province to screw it up. I'm happy to deliver it and do a better job than they can do, but I need the resources in order to do that. Quick aside, people always ask me if I'm ever going to graduate to other orders of government or if I want to go to a higher level of government. The quickest way to irritate me is to use the term senior level of government. I just call them orders of government. But it's worth noting that the mayors in this country, you know, John was in provincial politics, the mayors of Mississauga and Brampton were in federal and provincial politics, respectively. Denny Coderre, the mayor of Montreal, was a federal cabinet minister. The action Mike is at the municipal level. Mike Savage was a former MP. Gregor Robertson Gregor in was Vancouver a, yeah. was a former yeah. MLA. The action in the city is really, the action in the country is really at the municipal order of government. We do the stuff that matters to people every single day, and we're attracting the talent to do that. Now we just need the resources in order to be able to do it. Um, or the flexibility. So it doesn't sound all yeah, the time yeah. like, it's we're, not just for like we're
2: begging money, sure. for money. I mean, th- th- there is that, I think, unfortunate, uh, what's the word, inequitable distribution of money that Nahid was referring mm-hmm. to. I don't have the equivalent numbers for Toronto, but I'm sure they're the same or worse. But it's just about flexibility, two times times to give us the ability to do things that right now under this little box we're in that's a legislative box. I mean, quite literally, the City of Toronto, like the City of Calgary, exists only because of a statute of the provincial legislature of the two provinces that set out exactly what we can and can't do and oftentimes has very little flexibility in it when we're running, in our case, a $10 billion government. I mean, it's, it's not, it is it's not modern, it's not right, and it's not commensurate with what we've talked about this morning in terms of the percentage of the people and the percentage of economic activity that take place in the cities and the ability of the cities to address some of the social justice issues that we've both made reference to.
1: Um, we don't have a lot of time left, and I know because you have to get in the traffic to get to your next event, but... Um, you're so
2: you're clearly on his <laughs> It doesn't bother me a bit. No, no
1: problem. I'll be taking the TTC. Um,
2: Are you still with the CBC?
1: <laughs> the TTC. No, the CBC, I said. No, no I'm not. Oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I want you to dream a little bit um, and think about uh, your city, um, at 200, not at 150, um, the city that you, your grandchildren, you know, might aspire to lead one day, um, and, and and what that city might look like.
2: Well, I think if we want to aspire to what it should look like, mm-hmm. um, it is uh, a lot of what we're going to see is stuff that's not as visible to the eye uh, as it is to the experience uh, of, of the people of people who live here. Um, I think right now there's two things that we've, uh, we've got in front of us that are huge challenges. And I'll put them in sort of reverse order of importance. The number two, uh, the number two challenge is uh, making sure that we, as the city grows, because every projection shows there's going to be massive growth taking place in this region, that we stop doing what we did, which is allow growth to take place without the commensurate supports for people in terms of just basic public uh, infrastructure, transportation, parks, recreational facilities, and so on, and that we sort of get ourselves more to the point where we plan and allow for development and growth. And the growth's coming, so we may as well just accept that fact uh, and have that happen alongside uh, the other kinds of development that we often overlook and say we'll do that later. Uh, But then the second thing I'll mention, but first in terms of order of priority and related to the experience people have, is getting over what is, uh, whether we want to accept it or not, even in this country where we do it better um, is, is some gap between that uh, opportunity that uh, Nihed spoke about so that we can talk about the Canadian dream as being something that is open and available to everybody um, and the reality, which is that a lot of people, certainly I'll speak for this city, uh, there are too many people who uh, in reality don't uh, find themselves in a position to access the opportunity either because their neighborhoods are disconnected or because some part of their background has made it more difficult for them to access the opportunity and so on. And a lot of people look at that as some sort of a thing that involves kind of a handout to people or or anything like that. No, it's the wisest investment we'll ever make because we are a small country but an immensely talented country where the people coming through even from the most marginalized neighborhood in Toronto are coming through an excellent education system and have every reason to be very successful. And that it's other things we can do that are small that involve a little bit of extra support that are going to let those people perform to their potential and thus let the entire country perform better. And I think the city in... in on the 200th anniversary that has addressed that um, and, and sort of made sure those supports are available that allow people to be successful will be the city that will have done better uh, and be a place to be prouder of uh, than we are today. We're doing well at these things today relative to others, but not as well as we need to do uh, to be satisfied with
3: ourselves and to be more more successful. I think he just said he wants to take over the schools, so if anyone has a direct lines premier win, let her know. Years ago, when I was a volunteer um, with the city, I helped write the 100-Year Vision of Calgary. And it starts with the line, a great place to make a living, a great place to make a life. And to me, that's fundamentally what we're talking about. I talk a lot about sustainability, environmental sustainability, financial sustainability, social sustainability. But we need to continue to be beacons for the world and places of great opportunity. And that means that we have to have the basic tickets to the game. You've got to have a city that's safe. You've got to protect your air, your land, and your water. You've got to continue to provide every single person in the city with that little miracle that a billion people in the world don't have, which is safe, clean, healthy drinking water that doesn't make your kids sick. All of that stuff are tickets to the game. It's unbelievably expensive. You've got to take away the garbage. You've got to manage the recycling. Um, But beyond that, once you have those basic things in place and people can feel safe and secure, is when you start building opportunity. And I often talk about my own life. You know, I grew up in East Calgary in a family, first-generation Canadian in a family that didn't have a lot of money. But as John says, what I had was incredible opportunity. I graduated from outstanding public schools. I spent my Saturday afternoons at the public library. I learned to swim very badly in a public pool. I, I, whenever I say that line, I'm reminded that I now run the public pools and I'm now I'm disparaging my colleagues when I say that, but I explored the city that I love on public transit. And those kinds of investments are precisely the investments that create that opportunity. The one thing that Canada does better than anywhere is ensure that that opportunity is available to all, no matter where you come from or how marginalized you might be or the neighbourhood you live in. And that is the greatest danger we face. If we get into issues of intergenerational poverty in this country, if we get into areas where hope is lost for certain groups in certain neighborhoods, then our cities don't work anymore. And that's fundamentally, you know, with all the hard-nosed, squinty-eyed visor stuff that John and I do, cutting money here and there, I want to read that police force report. Um, (laughs) And that's the work we do every single day. We never lose fact, never, ever lose sight of the fact that what we're doing is ensuring that people have hope Prosperity in our community.
1: Thank you both very much for your time this morning and uh, for your leadership.
3: Thank you. Thank you all.
4: Good morning, my name is Fred Mifflin, and I'm the incoming president of the the Canadian Club. Mayor Tory and Mayor Nancy, I want to thank you for kickstarting our day with your energy and passion for both Canada and the great cities that you represent. Your contribution to our Canada 150 series reinforces the Club's mission to bring leaders to our podium who will challenge us to continue building the economic and social fabric that is Canada. As you pointed out, straight, strengthening our country begins in communities, whether large or small, something that you live daily in your commitment to your cities. You understand the importance of building partnerships, of actively listening to your residents, and of being inclusive in thought and action. It's no surprise that you enjoy very strong approval ratings. Allison. Thank you for your gift of moderating this morning and for promoting an insightful and thought-provoking discussion. I also want to take a uh, a moment for a personal thank you, and that's to you, Danny. Through your leadership of the club over the past year, you've brought communities closer together and have hosted a stage that was open to insightful ideas and discussions that will continue to resonate across the country. On behalf of the entire board and staff, thank you for the enthusiasm, the energy, and the, the leadership that you've brought to this podium. I also want to staff uh, thank the staff of the Canadian Club and, in particular, our executive director Lin Chow, for your flawless execution of our program over the year. This concludes our program today as well as our 2015 2016 series. To learn more about the club and our events next season, please visit us at CanadianClub.org. Um, and I'd now like to ask you to please rise as you are able to and join me in a toast to Canada. To Canada. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy your breakfast and have a great summer. We'll see you in the fall. Thank you.